Let's pray together. Father, song is a good introduction to our prayer right now to ask you that we would continue now into your word to see only Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to think on Jesus, to identify with Jesus, to represent Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to worship and honor him. For he's truly worthy of our praise and our honor and adoration and our all in all. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the West, at least, and I'm talking about North America and Europe and that part of the world, we spend, as Christians, we spend a lot of our time asking the question, why is this happening to me? Why, why am I going through such a difficult time? Why am I struggling so much? Why am I suffering so greatly? Suffering, for the most part, comes as a, as a surprise to us. Especially people who live under the shadow of the Almighty. We think it should be different than that. And the audience to our plight, to our trouble, to our suffering, the people who are watching, the spectators, generally ask the question, what did you do? They may not ask you to your face, but in their minds, they're thinking, wow, you sure have a lot of trouble in your life. What did you do to deserve all this trouble? There, surely there must be something in your life that is somehow off base. Somehow you brought this on yourself. Because although we, again, don't sort of categorize it, for the most part, the, the uh, worldview of the natural man in terms of suffering is karma. Again, we won't say that. The Buddhists and the Hindus do because that's what they believe. But quite frankly, in our practice, many Christians actually believe in karma. Believes that somehow the um, effect that you receive is on the basis of some sort of cause that you brought upon yourself. That's how karma works. If you don't believe me, in fact, it's, it's not unique to us. This very thing was played out in Jesus' day. In John chapter 9, verse 1, it says in the text, as he, meaning Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. Because obviously, he deserved it. And as a result, we go through life regularly viewing 
suffering as either unjust or deserved. Neither of those realities are really truth, or none of those thoughts are really true. In fact, um, there's a whole book in the Old Testament written around this whole idea of suffering. Man's name was Job. You know the story, or a lot of it. The story goes on uh, for 40 some odd chapters, 40, 40, 41, 42 chapters, talking about the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of evil, the nature of suffering. And Job is surrounded by all kinds of know-it-all friends who know nothing. And he finally admits that he knows nothing either at the end of the book. The truth of the matter, when it comes to suffering, we really know very little. And Peter spends a lot of time in his letters expressing to us a healthy theology of suffering. Would you open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter really sets the record straight for us here today in a most amazing way. The great, per, the great perplexity of suffering and the cause and effect and the complication, the strange ha- happenings of suffering and the deep insights that Peter brings to us here, which, by the way, he's joined by Paul and joined by James as well. There's lots in the New Testament that seeks to bring to us a healthy theology of suffering, but we don't seem to grasp it. We don't seem to accept it. We fall back into our natural patterns of unjust, injustice, and deserving, going back and forth. Let's set the stage here, first of all. The situation in Peter's time is a reminder is that Jesus as Messiah was violently opposed by the diaspora Jews of, the, of Asia Minor, the, the, the scattered Jews of Asia Minor. They could not accept Jesus as Messiah. So Christians proclaiming Jesus as Messiah set up automatically conflict. And scattered throughout Asia Minor were Jews all over the place, and this was the great cause of persecution to Christians. And Peter's writing to Christians. He's he's not writing to people of the world. He's writing to Christians. He starts out today in verse 12, dear friends. He's talking to you and talking to me. He's talking to those who love Christ, love Messiah, Jesus. Jesus as God, as only God, was violently opposed throughout the pantheistic uh, Roman religious system. So everybody was opposing Christians. In Peter's day, everybody, Jews, Romans, didn't matter. Everybody opposed Christians. I would submit to you today that the moderns among us, that we live among, oppose Christians and oppose God. That's why we can drop into this text this morning and say, hey, this is me, because it is us. It wasn't so much us a while back. 
but it is really becoming us in, in all of the complexity of what Peter writes here. We could identify with a few things in his text here, but now, right now, we can identify with virtually everything in his text. What I think is important for us to understand is that there's a common opposition when one is a Christian. Because Christianity brings major lifestyle changes. It has to. To the Romans, it required them to change their moral behavior. To the Jews, it required them to change their religious behavior. To the modernists around us, it requires them to radically change their thinking and their behavior. So there's conflict with human culture, shaped by human or misguided religious ideas. There's cultural justice based on flawed religious or social beliefs, which will render to Christians results that are unfavorable to us. That divergence of Canadian courts from Christian values is producing increasingly, for us, unjust legal decisions more and more. What I think is important here in Peter's discussion is that he gives us a far broader perspective on the possibilities of suffering. It's not a one-size-fits-all. He, he, I think, if we dig deep in this text this morning, we mine a little bit this text, we're going to find at least four different possibilities of why you might be suffering in life right now. Or if not right now, soon will be. Four different possibilities. So that no one can look at you and say, what did you do to deserve this? Quite honestly, just being a Christian is all it takes now. That's all it takes. So suffering's not limited to just personal attacks from people. It's not limited to unfavorable politics only. It's not limited to religious persecution alone. It's not limited to personal failures in my life alone. Although all of those things bring suffering, it's all of those things. Suffering is God's, what we're going to discover, and what might not feel very comfortable to you this morning is, is this, that suffering is God's chosen servant for transforming your life. Who wants to sign up for that? It is how God reshapes us into who we are really supposed to be. It, it is a significant factor in the toolbox of God in His renovation work in our lives. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there isn't anyone in here who will say, you know, God really shaped my life when I was having the best vacation of my entire life. That's not where God shapes our lives. You will regularly though, almost always, in fact, I'm gonna say always, 
in interviewing a believer, have them say to you, it was in that deep, hard moment of my life that God really, really spoke to me, that God really renovated my heart. That's where Peter wants to go here. And that's why he says, you shouldn't be surprised. I don't want you to be surprised and I don't want you to think it's strange. Because this is where God takes you into the deep end of Christianity. So let's join with Peter this morning and look at this text, verses 12 through 19 of 1 Peter 4. And I pray this morning that this will be a really important time in your heart for strengthening you, resolving you to serve Christ. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. Note that word. Really, it's the, it, 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 the real word is fiery ordeal. You are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Suffering Christians are not strange. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suffering Christians are not strange. They are the normal course of action. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And would you please all listen to this next phrase? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of God. This is the very word of God to you this morning. I want to point out to you four possibilities here of why you might be suffering for being a Christian. And the first is this. this kind of, these answer the questions, why? Why am I suffering? Do not be surprised. God uses painful ordeals to test the authenticity of your faith. Don't be surprised at suffering. 
God uses painful ordeals to test the authenticity of your faith. It's a strange translation of the NIV here in this case, in, in verse 12. I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure whether the translation team all went for a coffee break and let somebody um, with minimal theology translate verse 12. I'm not sure what happened here, but they absolutely missed the point. The New American Standard points out there's, there's a critical phrase in verse 12 that is missing in the NIV. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful tri trial you are suffering, which comes upon you for your testing. You kind of need that. It's, it's in the original. You kind of need that so you can actually resonate with the point I just made. The reason that I can say to you with assurance out of verse 12 that God uses painful ordeals to test the authenticity of your faith is because it's found in the original text. That's the exact words that are used there. God actually uses suffering to test you. God uses a broken, fallen world that we live in, gives permission to the fallenness of our world. The world that groans around us, our bodies that groan in agony as they continue to die, God allows that to bring suffering on our lives to test the authenticity of our faith. Are you going to leave or are you going to stay? Because living in this world is not going to get easier. And God strengthens us with ordeals, fiery ordeals. James says the same thing. If you turn back a few pages in your Bibles, to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, he says the very same thing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, fiery ordeals, of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we lack a lot of things. We are very incomplete. This is why we have a lifetime of God working on our lives. And testing and trials and fiery ordeals are brought into our lives to strengthen us, to challenge us, not to rattle our faith, but to strengthen our faith, to experience the presence and power of God. Not, not to become insecure, but to become sure of what we believe that we might become steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the things of the Lord. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs it all. That's what's happening in our lives. We're being refined. This, this word, perosis, a fiery ordeal, is 
purposely allowed in our lives. God is purposely, nothing is randomly happening to you or meaningless, meaninglessly happening to you or uh, wastefully happening to you. God doesn't allow that to happen in your life. None of this is, 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 is and should be shocking. It is for you refining. It is fire. We are being toasted, literally, by God's permission that we might be strengthened. In God's will, it says, the deep end of Christianity is God's purposed destiny for you. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, that if we want to taste the king's wine, we have to visit the cellar of suffering. King with a capital K. If we want to find rare pearls, we have to deep dive in the sea of affliction. That's where these things are found. Should not catch us by surprise. It's necessary. It's necessary. There are lots of fakes and posers. God's tests are shaking his church down so that we might and he might be left with his real church. In um, 1 John, if you go back the other way in your Bible a few pages, 1 John chapter 3, go to the back of your Bible that way. 1 John chapter 2, I should say, do, listen to this, do not love the world, verse 15, 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. The, the testing and fiery ordeals Trials, suffering, are to shake away the idols that we gathered, have gathered in our lives that get in the way of Christ first. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of, the, of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does... Don't get addicted to your own name, by the way. Don't get addicted to your own fame. Don't get addicted to your own platform and your own, your own uh, purpose. Comes not from God, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. Look at this is how we know. In suffering, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Fiery ordeal, ordeals are God's shakedown. Find out who loves the world instead of Christ. Demas, Paul writes to Timothy, left us because he loved the world more than he loved Jesus. I wonder during this time of testing, this time of pandemic, what it will reveal in God's church. One writer has said that God's church is 
terms of its leaders, are, is filled with cowards and apathetic people. I wonder. I wonder how much complacency there is among us. I wonder how much addiction to comfort there is among us. This time will reveal. There's a second um, possibility for your suffering. The first is test. The second is found in verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Participation in the sufferings of Christ. What were the sufferings of Christ? Why did Christ suffer? Christ suffered because he lived a righteous life. He lived the right way. Rejoice and plan to be overjoyed. If your hard time is because you are choosing to be righteous, you and Jesus are in the same league. That's why he says rejoice. You're participating in the sufferings of Jesus. In Philippians 3, 9 to 10, I won't take a moment to look there, but it says there that we are sharing in his righteousness, which would mean we are fellowshipping in his sufferings. And if we are fellowshipping in his sufferings, which means suffering for the same things that Jesus suffered for, will guarantee sharing in his resurrection and the revelation of his glory. Beloved, do you realize that if you really, really live like Jesus, you will really, really be treated like Jesus? If you are really living like Jesus did, a righteous life, you are going to suffer for living the right way. You are. So that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't I be rewarded? Shouldn't, shouldn't I be given a bed of ease? Shouldn't it work out better than that? No, it doesn't work out better than that. In a broken, fallen, sinful world, to live the right way means you will suffer. If you are suffering because you are presently choosing to live life like Jesus did in righteousness, you are literally in union with Christ by your behavior and how you are living, confirming that your future will be filled with overjoy. This is, a, this is, this is not meant to be a downer, by the way. I, I, you're kind of looking at me like, man, this is a downer sermon, Pastor Rick. We're talking suffering. It should be a downer sermon, but it's not a downer sermon. Look at the words that are going on here. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't think this is strange. You should be rejoicing. You should look forward to overjoy. This is, this is something to get excited about. We're not masochists, by the way, but we are people who understand that in this short, short life we have, God is getting us ready for an incredibly awesome eternity. That's what this deal is all about. Don't lose sight of that. It says everywhere here, the glory to be revealed, the glory of Christ, the glory of God, the glory of the future. Living in light, Peter is so about living in light of eternity. He has about two or three years to live. He doesn't know that, but he does know his time is short. Just like Paul knew his time was short. Just like everybody knows their time is short who lives in a righteous way. Time is short. 
Being connected to Christ includes suffering for things he suffered over. So, so what does that mean practically? Let me just throw out some practical ideas for you. That means that, that people will, will turn away from you just because you're living the right way. That hurts. You will lose positions in the pecking order of people's lives just because you live the right way. When you, you must take, as Christians, unpopular decisions. They're called unpopular decisions for a reason, because they're not popular. If you're addicted to popularity, you will have great struggle to live righteously. If you, if you need everybody to love you and like you and think you're making the right decision all the time, you will have a problem living righteously. You will not be able to take jobs that just anybody else can take because they will result in you not living the way that you believe Christ wants you to live. You will lose jobs because you're trying to live the way Christ wants you to live. You will have to pass on promotions because if you take the promotion, it might not enable you to live with the kind of passion you have for Christ that you want to live. Or by the same token, you might be passed over for a promotion just because you don't play the game the way everybody else does because you live righteously and not politically. You might, be pass, you might have to pass on certain things that you just can't do because you want to live righteously. You might be passed on because you don't live the way they want you to live. There are sinful ways of living that you will have to refuse to endorse. And that bumps up and rubs up against people. And you will have to suffer for that. Our world isn't satisfied to simply live tolerantly they want you and me to endorse the way they live. And when you don't endorse the way people live, which is abusive to Jesus, they will abuse you. There are sacrificial ways you're going to have to choose to live, just to live righteously like Jesus did. You're going to have to spend your money differently than everybody else spends their money. You're going to have to invest differently. My retirement, my retirement plan isn't for like till I'm age 90. My retirement plan is till I'm age a trillion. Five trillion. A million trillion. I can't give you the number that your and mine and believers out there in online land, I, I can't tell you how long your retirement is because there are no numbers in the human vocabulary to mark the number. So I suggest that your retirement plan should be significantly more than age 90. And all of that brings suffering. It does. There's a third notice, verse 14, if you are insulted, because of the name of Christ, you are blessed 
For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Identity. Everybody's about identity right now. It's all about your identity. It's all about identity politics. That's the cultural reality right now. And if you don't have the right identity, or if you aren't on the right political side of identity politics, you're going to suffer big time. But for believers, there's only one identity that matters. I, I don't know about how you're looking at life, but I'm looking at life this way. I'm looking at my identity being limited to how God views me. I don't, I don't really care about anybody else or anything else. I just want to know how God views me because that's my identity. And I'm telling you that, that if you are insulted for identifying with the name of Christ, it says in the text here, you are blessed. I want to identify with the name of Christ. And that's going to cause suffering in my life. It's going to cause suffering in your life if you identify with Christ. You see, in an honor-shame culture that Peter was writing to, which ours isn't so much, but it's becoming more like that. In an honor-shame culture, to be insulted was the worst possible social stigma. And Peter is addressing here, like I know, he says, you guys, I know out there in Asia Minor land, I know you're being insulted because you're identifying with Christ. And and I know you think that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. You are being shamed by your families. You're being shamed by your friends, so-called your former friends. You're being shamed by your, your old religious gathering, your old Jewish religious gathering, or your, your gathering at the Roman temple, wherever you came from, I know you're being shamed. And I know as you look around at people, they're insulting you and shaming you. But if you're identifying with me, Jesus says, I want you to understand you're not a shame to me. I, I consider you blessed. In fact, blessed means the full face of God is on you. I've turned my full face to you. I want you to take those insults and I want you to bury them in the deepest sea possible. And then look at me and look in my face and realize I'm looking squarely at you because I love you. If we identify with Jesus Christ, we're going to rub people the wrong way by our determination to live out orthodox, obedient attention to God's Word. Suffering for conscientious compliance with biblical teaching. Shunning identity politicking in favor of our identity in Christ. It's not shameful, by the way. It's assurance that the Spirit of God actually rests on you. You want to know how you can know you're a believer, how you can know for sure, how you can be secure in your faith and know that you really belong to Christ. Take on full force the identity of Christ. And the spirit of glory, that's what the text says, 
Do you see what it says? You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The, the real glory now is not prosperity. It's the presence of God. You are promised here a foretaste of eternity. You are promised here the full presence of God resting on you. You are, regardless of your nationality or your background or your history, if you are identifying in Christ, your identity is the brilliant, shiny epithelial of God's glory. When Moses came back from the presence of God, what did he look like? His face was shining. When Stephen was being stoned because he was identifying with Jesus Christ, what did he look like? It says he shone like an angel. And when you identify with Jesus Christ, they may be throwing insults at you. But the more they insult you, the more you shine with the glory of God. It rests on you. This is the promise of God. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians, to the Galatians, there in Christ there is neither male nor female, there is neither uh, Gentile or Jew, there is neither slave nor free. When I'm telling you uh, in identity, I, I want to, I, I'm not, God, here's how God doesn't, God doesn't see me as a, as a, uh, a white, male, free guy. He sees me in Christ. I see my brother Kenny over here. Can I use you as an illustration? He'll call me later if he doesn't like it. God doesn't see you, Kenny, as a black male free guy. That's not how God views you. God views you in Christ. And I can go down the list. I can pick all of you out. Don't fall into the trap of this identity politicking that's going on around us. We are in Christ. That's our identity. That's how God sees us. And in so doing, we are insulted when we identify with him. But don't you ever feel ashamed, ever, to identify with Christ. Because you are blessed. Finally, the fourth possibility is this. So that's association. So there's... There's the test, you, you suffer for test, you suffer for living righteously, you suffer because of your association with Jesus, and you will suffer because of personal sin. Look at, if you are in, uh, sorry, verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's the, here it is. Here's the final. If you are a Christian, by the way, this is only a third place in the Bible where the word Christian actually appears. 
if you are a Christian, which simply means a follower of Christ, God's love includes ridding you of the sin he hates because his judgment begins with his own house. Now, he quick, Peter quickly says here, look it, if you choose to sin, don't claim that you're suffering for Christ. Don't claim that you're suffering as a Christian. If you choose to sin, if you choose, in other words, to be a murderer, a thief, or any other kind of criminal, don't say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're a bad person. He says that you shouldn't even be a meddler. The Proverbs talks about defining a meddler. You know what a meddler is? A meddler is someone who grabs a dog's ears as it runs by. Try doing that sometime and see what the dog will do to you. That's what God's word says will happen to you. But count on some kind of trouble and hardship when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus Christ because Christ will tear out and uproot long-standing entrenched patterns of sinful unholiness. Why? Because we are his holy residence. He lives in us. Look at what the text says here. For it is time for judgment to begin with, uh, and by the way, that word there is oiko, which means home. Oiko to feu, home of God. Where's the home of God? Tell me. Interaction. Come on. Come alive. Where's the, house? Where's the home of God? Point to the home of God. Judgment starts in the home of God. When, um, when we go on vacation, we rent a place, a cottage or something like that, my wife spends like the first two days at least cleaning the place. Drives me crazy. Like, who cares? It's somebody else's place. Let's just live in it. It's okay. No, it's got to be cleaning the cupboards and cleaning. I'm not putting my stuff in these cupboards until they're clean. I mean, seriously. It's your holidays. Jesus, when he moves into our place, our house, this house, he spends the rest of our earthly lives cleaning it up so that he can feel comfortable living in it. It, it performs a two-way thing. It's because when we ask the question, how could a holy God live in unholy people? This is how. This is how he does it. He comes into our life with a commitment to fix it, to holy us up. So suffering is happening because God is working a way at pulling out deeply held sin, stuff that he can't abide in our lives. He doesn't want to live there. It's, it's dirty. I don't want to be here. I, I got to get this cleaned up. That's what he's doing. Because he's judgment begins. Listen, the world should take notice. If Jesus Christ is that committed to the issue of judgment that he would actually start in the people he shed his blood for to fix us, then how bad is it going to be for people who disobey him? That's the point that Peter's making here. If Jesus is that committed to fixing sin, getting rid of sin, 
How desperate is it for people who don't even know him or love him or care about him or obey him? Because he insists upon starting in our lives. And by the way, because Jesus has a long-term retirement plan for us as well. He's fixing us now and fitting us for glory. That's what's happening. This is not wasted like, oh, we got to start over again. No, this is Jesus moves into our lives and spends time working us over, working us over, suffering, suffering, working us over, getting rid of stuff, fitting us for his presence in our lives and our presence in glory. That's what this is about. So this is for your own good now, to get you fit for the presence of of God. So he says, so praise God. Praise God that this is happening. But this is a very bad sign for those who live in rebellion to Christ. So our time is gone. Let me just wrap it up quickly with this. So what do we do? He wraps it up in verse 19. What do we do about all this stuff? Two big things. Look at Commit yourselves to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Two things. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Not what people think about you. Don't fall in love with your own name or your own popularity or your own comfort or you will never survive the deep end of Christianity. Entrust your very soul to your faithful creator who has rightful claim. Why did he use the word creator? Because he has rightful claim of your life and how it needs to be fashioned. In our case, refashioned. And continue to do good. Why does he urge them with that? Because you know what? When we get in the midst of suffering, we feel like giving up. We feel like saying, you know what? It doesn't pay to be good. I, I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm identifying with Christ. I'm making righteous choices. It just doesn't seem to pay off. I, I, I just keep getting kicked around. You know, Susanna Wesley, if you don't, uh, not Susanna, Susanna, Spur, Susanna Spurgeon, same name, but Charles Spurgeon's wife. You know, you know what verse she had pinned in their bedroom? Matthew chapter 5 Verse 11 and 12. This was in their bedroom. This is not what you normally put in your bedroom. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of, of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. She got that verse and put it up in their bedroom for her husband's sake. Because Spurgeon took so much abuse all the time. In fact, they, they talked about him basically being a football kicked all over England. Why? Because he took strong stands for Christ. He refused to accept baptismal regeneration. He refused to accept Arminianism. He refused to accept a, a, a putrid form of unity uh, among evangelicals that took fragments of Scripture and disagreed with them and tried to put them together in a patchwork. He refused all of that for the sake of Christ and his identity with Christ, and he paid immensely for it. But he kept on doing good, nevertheless. In fact, he died at 57, and his wife, Susanna, said the ministry killed him. 
we're tempted to give up. But what does it mean to keep on doing what is right, keep on doing what is good? It means obedience to God's word, no matter what. It's not an add-on to our faith, beloved, when it's somehow convenient or painless. Obedience to God's word is central to our faith. Keeping on doing what is right. So are you passing the test? Entrusting everything to God, refusing to surrender goodness, righteousness, or obedience, no matter how tough, or what the head count is in the other direction? I hope so. We suffer for four possible reasons, and there's others, but testing, living right, identifying with Christ, and sin. Rejoice. Praise God that you are blessed. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I trust, Lord, that it will be helpful. I know it will be. It, your word pierces right through the bone, right to the marrow. It gets right to the heart of the matter. Lord, I don't know who's all listening to this sermon this morning, but you do. And you know the hearts that need to hear this. And you know the hearts that you want to transform. You know the hearts that you want to encourage. You know the hearts that you want, oh God, to not give up, but keep on going. Not be surprised at suffering or consider it strange, but to praise God that we are counted worthy to suffer with Christ, to, to praise, to, to experience his blessing now, and to be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory, to have his glory rest upon us now, the Shekinah of God resting on us now to have the full face of Jesus. Oh, they may insult us, but God, Jesus is looking us face to face and he is pleased with what he sees. That is what I long for, Lord. And I believe my brothers and sisters do as well. So thank you for your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you for being with us this morning out online where, where you all are. And um, just remember now this is our opportunity to thank the Lord for his great provision for us and to, to continue to offer to him our sacrifice, our offerings to him. So uh, thank you for your commitment to that. Uh, and uh, we'll say goodbye to 301. Love you so much. Glad to see you as well. And uh, have a great day.